0: Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be here with you before we go into our worship service I want to go through a few announcements that I think are really important to the life of our church Uh, The first is that we have two committee meetings coming up. One is the missions committee, which is meeting today At 4 p.m. in the church library if you are interested at all in missions, whether it be local missions or global missions Please come and be a part of this meeting. It will be encouraging Um, There will be a time of prayer and discussion. It will be a great time, and tomorrow night, the discipleship committee is meeting at 7 p.m. in the church library with supper provided, and this committee, again, is over youth ministry. It's over Sunday school ministry. It's over Wednesday night ministries, so if anything like that is interesting to you or you have an opinion about anything in those realms, please come tomorrow night to share, and to talk with me and others on that committee tomorrow night. There is a youth room overhaul this evening. Um, I don't know why I picked the word overhaul, but uh, makeover or whatever word you want to use. The youth room is in dire need of cleaning and it needs uh, just a refresher. So if you're in Uh, the youth group, or if you're someone who just wants to lend a hand tonight. It won't take too long, but we'll be cleaning up. We'll be organizing some things and just giving it um, and taking out some couches and things like that. So I would love your help tonight, and we'll provide dinner as well. Lastly, uh, the session welcomed Hannah Morgan, Amber Eden, and Canaan Cross as communing members of First Presbyterian Church. So if you see them today, Please give them a hearty welcome in the Lord, and uh, we are grateful for their membership. As we take a few moments now, and the music plays, you can ask God to help you prepare to worship him this morning. Let's take a few moments to do that now. Uh, I grew up in a church that began worship services with a song, and most Sundays I was not ready to just stand and sing. And so I am grateful uh, for this church and for our denomination, which we start our worship services with God's word, his call to us to worship. And I need that. We need God's call to bring us into worship. So would you stand for God's call to worship from Psalm 48. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Indeed, God will guide us forever. Would you sing his praises with me? We'll sing hymn number 165, Ye Servants of God, Your Master Proclaim, hymn 165. God, we give you all honor and blessing this morning as you bless us and you enable us to worship you and to sing your praises. So would you give us your Holy Spirit in full measure this morning? And would you lead us in worship? Would you lead every part of this service as we sing, as we hear your word, as we hear your word preached? Would you be a part and would you give us great encouragement and challenge us uh, by the power of your spirit? And would you lead us in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? If you would remain standing, you can take your bulletin and you'll find the Confession of Faith. and We have been using the Apostles' (laughs) Creed. Uh, I will ask you, believer, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, We have some time uh, to continue in prayer, and so I would invite you to join me as I pray for the needs of our church, as I pray for God to work in our town, in our world. So would you bow your heads with me and pray with me? Dear Father, we come to worship today because you sent your eternal son, Jesus, to this earth. He confirmed power with mighty works and wonders and signs that you did through him. God, we believe and know that our Lord Jesus was delivered up according to your definite plan and foreknowledge, yet he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God, we know you raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And we say in our spirit, hallelujah. Father, Son, and Spirit, we're amazed that you would make a definite plan to love a sinful generation of people who would not deserve or reflect your love in return. God, we are in awe of your grace. And this morning, we humbly ask that you would lead us. We ask, what would you have us do with our lives, with our participation in this service, with our families? God, we ask that you would lead us that you would lead us to faith and repentance to take hold of the promise of the forgiveness of our sins and walk in the joy of holiness by your Spirit. God, we think about the members of this church. Uh, We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would have mercy uh, on your son, David Willers, and heal him quickly, Um, that you would help our church support the Willers well during these uh, next few weeks as he recovers from his appendix surgery. Lord, we thank you. We, we very much thank you for the healthcare workers uh, across the country, but especially here. Um, those people who uh, go so long without any thanks and appreciation. Lord, we are grateful for you raising up those people who have a desire to help others. God, we pray also for our county, for Winston County. Um, Many of us don't live in Winston County, but we pray, Lord, uh, on Tuesday, uh, as several important positions are up for election, um, we pray for those we know and love who are running for a position, and we pray that you would show them your faithfulness, regardless of the results. We pray you would give them the desires of their heart as they align with yours And we pray that you would build this county on the foundation of justice and truth, of love and humility. Lord, what a privilege it is to be with your church body this morning in a comfortable, air-conditioned building. You have blessed us with so much, and now would you cause us to be a blessing to others. Would you build us up with the gospel this morning, we pray, and lead us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, as we give our physical tithes and offerings, we pray that you would reap a spiritual um, profit in this church and in this town and across the world with those missionaries and the people that they are ministering to. Lord, would you do that? Would you reap a harvest? Would you bring people to the knowledge of your love and your grace, your mercy? Would you bring this church uh, closer to you? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you do all these things? We pray because you are good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we, we will continue to sing together with hymn 605, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Let's continue worshiping together.
1: Well, I'd invite you to turn with me now to Psalm 139. We're finishing up our series that I've entitled Transfigurational Living, and uh, next week, as you see in the, you'll see this in the bulletin, we're going to begin a fall series into the winter on the Book of Genesis, and I'll tell you more about that next week, but. Today, let's read together Psalm 139. Before I read it, let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open up this living word, this active word, this sharp word, this powerful word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us to know today. Send out your light and your truth. and Let them lead us, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So beginning in verse 7 of Psalm 139, hear God's word. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. There were none of them. This ends the reading of God's Word. I love this psalm, by the way. I'm just enjoying reading it. But One of the most uh, common questions that Christians ask about God is, how is He at work in my life? How is He present? What is He doing? And the answer of this psalm is, is that God is the author of a glorious story since before the creation. And that he's chosen to make us a part of that story. John Calvin liked to say that this creation, the the world, the galaxies, all of it, it's a theater for the majesty and glory of God. And right now is our time to step on that stage in that theater and play our part So I have three points to talk about what God is doing in our life. We are characters in God's story. We are known characters in God's story. And we are overcoming characters in God's story. Number one, we're characters in God's story. So back to the passage. Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Much could be said about that. We are created beings. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is how King David sees his life. Every moment of his life, every day of his life, from a Being a baby in his mother's womb, he's smaller than a peanut, to searching his head for a hair that's not gray, it's all written in God's book. That's how David looks at life. It's all planned out. God has a plan for him, a purpose for him, and he has the privilege of being a character in a story that God has written. His days were written in God's book. Do you believe that about yourself? When the Apostle Paul talks about uh, doctrines like foreknowledge and election and predestination in the New Testament, we tend to think of those as high and lofty things uh, that maybe don't have that much practical value. But these ideas are so beautiful. Just take foreknowledge, for instance. The concept of foreknowledge, those whom God foreknew, he predestined. Foreknowledge not only means that God knew us ahead of time, it means that he had an intimate loving knowledge of his people before they were ever born. One translation of Romans 8 in the term foreknowledge says, God set his heart on his people before he ever created them. When God calls David a man after his own heart, it doesn't mean that David was this special, unique character who was better than everybody else, and so therefore God chose him. It means, no, before the foundation of the world, God had set his heart on David to be his king in Israel. He was God's chosen man. He was foreknown. He was predestined for that role. And the New Testament tells us that that's true. We're not all destined to be the king of Israel, though we're going to be kings and queens. We're going to reign and rule, to be sure, uh, with Christ as our brother. But at the same time, the New Testament tells us that all believers, we've all been foreknown by God, we've all been foreloved by God, we're all predestined to be a part of this story that God is telling Dorothy Sayers, who was a Christian, uh, Anglican writer, you know, going back 70, 80 years ago in her, in her prime, she was a poet, she, she wrote novels, uh, she translated works of Latin, and she translated Dante in English from Latin. She was a brilliant, brilliant woman. And she said, creation is as though a book were written to be read by the characters within it. For us... It is not a finished work. Every one of us is on the stage performing a part in a play of which we have not seen either the script or any synopsis of the ensuing acts. At the most, perhaps, towards the end of our lives, we may see how some of the episodes fit together, and from the completed episodes of the past, we may gather some indication of the author's purpose. What she's saying there is a lot of times we don't see life as a story, we don't see life as a narrative until we get older and we approach death when we can start to look back and see oh, I see how that fit together and that fit together and this happened and this happened. But what David is calling us to do in this passage, what he's doing, he wants us to see our lives as part of God's story now. He doesn't want us to wait to the end to try to piece it all together. He wants us to see it now. And as I've taught this over the years, some people really embrace it and some people... Kind of reject it. Some people are lukewarm about it. I heard a well-seasoned pastor uh, say a while back that people in church generally function and get their energy in one of three ways. Either they come here for, they come to church for the community because they want to socialize and they want friendship, or they come to church because they want something productive to do. They want a building program. They want a program. They want something to do. Or, he says, One-third of them simply want to make sense of their lives. They want to see their lives as part of a grand narrative, as part of a story. They want to do sense-making. Well, whether you're in that third who wants to make sense of your life or not, David is telling us it's important that we see our lives as part of a story, that we're characters in a story God is telling. That's number one. So, number two, we're not only characters in God's story, we're known characters in God's story. In verses 1 through 4 of our passage, we didn't get to read. For the sake of time, I didn't read the whole psalm, but I'm going to speak of the whole psalm. In verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 139, David uses six different phrases to emphasize that God knows him. He says, you know me, you discern my thoughts, you search me, you're acquainted with me, and your hand is upon me. David is emphasizing that there's an intimacy of this relationship with God. Because God is not bound by time, he knows us better than we know ourselves. There's an intimate knowledge there. We say, the theologians will say, you know, we see ourselves as young or middle aged or old. But because God is not bound by time, he sees the whole thing all at once. Our whole lives are ever present before us. He knows us from beginning to end right now in this moment. And I cannot fathom that. He knows the young me, he knows the middle-aged me, he knows the old me, all at the same time. He knows me better than I know myself. Even when I feel unknown and obscure, he knows me. And when you feel unknown and obscure, he knows you too. Ephesians 3 calls us God's handiwork. We're his art. Ephesians 3.10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, God is telling a story with our lives and he's using us and our salvation to show his power not only to us but to all of creation, to the principalities and powers. He knows us intimately. He has a plan for us. Indy Wilson says, clear your throat and open your eyes. You are on stage. The lights are on. This isn't make-believe. This is theater for keeps. Yes, it is a massive stage, and there are millions of others on stage with you. Yes, you can try to shake the fright by blending in, but it won't work. You have the Creator God's full attention. As much as He ever gave Napoleon or Churchill or even Moses, you are His art. Do you believe that you have as much of God's attention as Moses ever had? I wonder. And God's knowledge of you also implies his presence with you. To be known by God is to have the presence of God. He hasn't left us alone in this story as characters just trying to figure it out ourselves. He's with us. Again, you see this in our passage. What does David say, verse 7? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there. Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Some of you all remember Fred Smoot, um, cornerback for Mississippi State, went on to play in the NFL for a number of years. He was a quote machine, Uh, my favorite quote he was a character. We're talking about being characters. He was a character. He is a character. Uh, one of my favorite quotes of him was as a cornerback. He said, 75% of the world is covered by water. The other 25% is covered by Fred Smoot. <laughs> and David's saying, God covers it all. He covers it all. He's everywhere. He's always ever present. He's with us everywhere. We can't fall into a ditch so deep that he can't reach down and grab us. We can't get into a rocket ship and fly so high that he can't reach up and grab us. We can't even go into a place so dark that his sight can't penetrate the darkness and see us exactly where we are. Maybe you're in a place that is dark and deep right now. And this text is telling us it doesn't mean he's not with you. He sees you. He knows you. He's with you. To use an analogy, he's present in your story the same way Shakespeare was present in Hamlet. His fingerprints are all over it. He's walking through the pages. Even when his name's not in the script, he's there. And he's intimately there. That's number two. We're characters in God's story. We're known characters in God's story. Lastly, we are overcoming characters in God's story. So again, we didn't read the last part of the psalm. But it tells us that David was going through a difficult time as he penned Psalm 139. We don't know exactly what was happening, but he speaks of bloodthirsty men who clearly are out to take his life. He speak, speaks of evildoers. And we know, you know the life of King David. He went through a lot of hard times. Even his own son tried to take him out at one point. And it's in the midst of that adversity that he's pinning these words. He's reminding himself. You you ask, what made David tick? What made his spiritual life tick? We, we get a clue in Psalm 139. When he was facing adversity, when he was facing trouble, he didn't say, oh, God's abandoned me, God's not with me. He, instead, he dove back into uh, the fact that God is, was present with him in the midst of the trouble. Some people have a really hard time doing that. You know, When you face trouble, you say, God must not be in it. God must have forsaken me. God must not be watching right now. He must not be present right now. I read, a few years ago, I read uh, a story in an online newspaper that I mean, it just broke my heart. But when I was living in Nashville, a local pastor there, his 30-year-old son, had tragically died, had contracted COVID and, and died, and it was a big story locally there. And there was a quote from this young man who had passed, his father, the minister. Uh, they asked him, the reporter asked him what he thought God's role Where was God in the death of his 30-year-old son? And this is what the minister said. I don't say, oh, God knew knew this would happen. This was God's will. No, this was not God's will. This wasn't God's will for my son to die at 30. It wasn't his will for him to die and leave a beautiful wife by herself and a son without a father. That wasn't God's will. The whole idea that God is somehow pulling levers... And in control of who lives and who dies in some type of cosmic gameplay, that's hogwash. See, in adversity, this man is trying to comfort himself by saying, God's not involved. But look at the God he painted. I, don't agree. <laughs> I wouldn't agree that that God existed either. God's not some like cosmic lever puller who, or sadist who gets joy out of our suffering. But That doesn't mean he's not involved. It doesn't mean he's not with us doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan for us. I mean, contrast that minister with another minister uh, from the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, who said, It would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him nor sent to me by his arrangement of their quantity and weight. Spurgeon saying, If I'm going to suffer, and I believe in a sovereign God, I want to believe that the exact quantity and weight of my suffering was measured out by Him. At the end of the day, that's my only hope. Job said it perfectly in the book of Job when he said, Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? It's hard. It's the whole battle of the Christian life. You have a choice to make about how you're going to view adversity in this story that God is telling. I got an analogy from Indy Wilson a number of years ago that I've always thought to be very helpful when talking to non-believers. But he said you take any story, any novel, uh, any movie, whatever the case may be, written by man, there's adversity in it, right? And so we, we mentioned Hamlet earlier. Let's use him. So Hamlet suffers greatly in the play. So imagine... That he has a choice. He has to think about Shakespeare, the author. And either he can say, I'm suffering, therefore Shakespeare has no idea what he's doing. He's clueless. He's writing a bad story. Or he can say, Shakespeare is clearly evil because he's putting me through the ringer, Or he can say, Shakespeare doesn't exist. There must not be an author. There's so much suffering, therefore there must not be an author. And you listen to that and it's silly, right? Logically, it would make no sense that you would deny the author, but... Emotionally, when you're in the midst of the suffering, can be very challenging. So people either say, God doesn't know what he's doing. Or God is bad. He's a, or God doesn't exist. Or the alternative that Christians say is, maybe an all-knowing, all-present God knows a little better than we do. And we need to give him the benefit of the doubt. In fact, when people question God because of suffering... We need to be reminded that God has given us ultimate proof that he means for it not only to be a part of our life, but he means it to be there for a reason. And the ultimate reason is for it to be overcome. So look at the life of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. He is the author. We're going to see this as we look at Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. He's the author of this whole thing. This is his story. This whole creation is a theater for his glory. And during a time, 2,000 years ago, he stepped onto the stage himself. And what happened? Dorothy Sayers said, uh, There is one episode in particular to which Christianity draws our attention. The leading part in this story was played by the author himself who presents his life as the epitome of the plan of the whole world. And examining the plot of it, we observe at once that if anybody in this play has his feelings spared, it certainly is not the author. The author doesn't sit off distant, far off. He comes in onto the stage to be humiliated, to suffer, and to die for us. But that's not the end of it. Right? He rose from the dead. Here's the point. Why does God allow trouble and adversity to come into our lives? So that through Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, who overcame, we can overcome. No matter how dark it is, it can be overcome. No matter how deep it is, it can be overcome. You can rise because Jesus rose, and his nail-pierced hand will hold you up. I love David said that God's hand held him. The, The literal word there was palm in the text. Like a potter putting his palm to the clay as a purpose for the clay and he's molding it and he's making it and he's going put it, to put it into the fire or it's never going to settle into its final form. Such a beautiful picture of the Christian life. We can know that we're going to come out on the other side of the fire because Jesus Christ came out and he says, when you go through the fire, I will be with you and you will not be burned. In the book of Romans, Paul tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, and it's because of that fact that he can say in Romans twelve twenty one, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. I know the last few years, as the world has changed, and so much has happened, it is so easy to feel like evil is overcoming. And Paul says, no. You're on this world to overcome evil, and you're to overcome it by good. Romans 8, 30, 37 says, In all these things, what are all these things? Suffering, difficulty, adversity. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love that phrase more than conquerors. In Greek, it's hooper Nikeo. I love Greek compound words. You will hear me say this a lot. The Greek language is Endlessly fascinating. Hooper, Nikeo, the Nikeo part sounds Nike. Hooper, what is it? Hyper, what does it sound like? Anybody got a guess? If you've heard me online in previous years, you might know this. Hooper means super. Hooper means super. You'll never forget that. He's saying we're super conquerors. That's Paul's description of us. I wonder if you walked in this place today saying, boy, I feel like a super conqueror. I know I didn't. Do you look at your life that way? Do you look at your story that way? Let me tie this back to the idea of transfigurational living. When you start to see yourself as a character in the story that God is telling in the theater of creation, this is how he trans- transforms you. This is why I put this in my top three principles I wanted to share in this opening series. It's had that big an impact on my life, and I wanted to on yours. Through Christ... God not only wants us and has willed for us to overcome our adversities; He's willed for us to overcome our sin and rebellion. So back to the passage, Psalm one thirty nine twenty three and twenty four, David says, "Search me, O God, and know my heart; try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting." He's looking. He's saying, God, I may not see all my flaws, but I know you do. So search me. Show it to me. Help me to know it so that I can walk in the right path. That's the Christian life. There was a time in David's life when he was living with unrepented sin over his extramarital affair with Bathsheba. And God sent the prophet Nathan to do what? How was he going to call out the king, the most powerful man in the land, for his sin? He told him a story. It's as if Nathan, you see, he tells him a story about a rich man who stole a lamb from a poor man. And David is just absolutely wrecked by when, when Nathan says, you are that man. Our sin goes so deep. We deceive ourselves so thoroughly sometimes about our sin that it's almost like God needs to pull down the screen, put something up on, a, on, on the screen, put a story up there, put a movie up there and show us, you are that man. If you want to change, if you want to overcome your sins and your flaws, if you want to overcome adversity, God wants you to look at the big screen of the glory of Jesus Christ and project your life up there. Project your right now life up there. And when you do that self, you ask yourself, do I like what I see? I'm doing this all the time. It's a little mental trick, but I can't stop doing it. It's been so helpful to me. Like imagine your life. Take some time to reflect now, this afternoon. Imagine your life on the big screen. Imagine tomorrow on the big screen. Imagine yesterday on the big screen. Look at yourself as a living character in a story that God is telling and say, do I like that person? Do I like the way that person's behaving? Is that the person I want to be? Are you the judgmental know-it-all who thinks no one ever lives up to your standards? Are you the gossip who's so busy talking about everybody else that you don't have time to examine yourself? Are you the dad who's too busy at work or too busy on his phone um, to spend time with his children? Are you the mom who's too busy fussing with your kids to take time to enjoy your kids? Are you the unruly child who doesn't honor or respect your parents in the in and outs of life? Are you an overbearing tyrant of a boss Who mistreats your employees? Are you the whiny employee who's not thankful that you have an income? Are you the chicken little who constantly thinks the sky of your life is falling and so you never have joy? You're a character in God's story. How are you living it out? Look at it on the big screen. What do you see? Put yourself in a story and ask if you like the character you've become. Then look at the glory of Christ. Look at him conquering death, hell, and the grave. Look at him rising from the dead, ascending to the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Hear him calling you more than a conqueror. Hear him saying, because of what I've done for you, you are a super conqueror. You are a character in his story. He knows you. And you're a character who is meant to overcome. Now now through him, set your mind to do it. Let us pray. Father, what a blessed thought that you know us. That you number the hairs of our heads. That you care for us. That you sympathize with our weaknesses. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, who became a man and was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Just use today to remind us, not only that you're with us, but that we are characters in a story that you are telling before the whole creation. This is our time on the stage of the theater of your glory. Help us to use this time on stage well. And at the end of it all, as we rise in glory with Jesus Christ, may our song ever be... That you have led us all the way, led us into the presence of our blessed Savior. And fill us with the hope that on that day we will be perfectly conformed to his image. As if we had never sinned, and never to sin again. For we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 600, He Leadeth Me, O Blessed Thought. Number 600, let's stand together as we sing. hope that uh, you can be with us for evening worship tonight. I w- I'm going to be out of town for a couple of days just to give you a heads up, but Matt will be preaching, and I uh, would love for you to show up tonight. It's the Lord's Day, not just the Lord's Morning. So if you're able, come. Now leave with God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as we continue this, our short, earthly pilgrimage. Amen.